Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. On today's show, I brought on a special guest, Josh Ziegelbaum. Josh is the Director of Investor Relations at Legacy Group, an alternative asset manager that targets profitable investment opportunities with high social and environmental impact in Latin America. Legacy Group gives their investors the chance to invest directly in projects that not only produce favorable returns, but also have a positive social and environmental impact on all relevant stakeholders. Josh, welcome to the show. Mark, thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here with you. So I'm looking forward to today's topic. I know we're going to talk about alternative investments and even specifically coffee. I drink a lot of coffee. So I'm looking forward to talking about and seeing opportunities that people have in investing in it. Maybe you can start off by providing an overview of what Legacy Group is and share some background on the green coffee company. Sure. Be happy to dive into that here, Mark. So the Legacy Group is a boutique private equity firm. We're an asset manager focusing on Alternative investments in Latin America, our main market of focus would be Colombia. Uh, the two partners at Legacy Group live and work out of Medellin, Colombia, where our portfolio companies are. And we're opening up unique opportunities to U.S.-based investors to participate overseas. We focus primarily on the Green Coffee Company, which is our flagship portfolio company. It's a U.S.-based investment opportunity. However, we control over 6,500 acres of coffee farmland and over 7 million coffee trees in Colombia on behalf of our investors. We have about 300 investors to date. With their capital as well as our own, we've solidified our position as the number one largest coffee producer in Colombia, and we have goals of becoming the largest Arabica coffee producer globally in the next several years. The goal, kind of medium term, I guess you can call it to the the mid-decade here, the goal is to exit through IPO. That's the preferred strategy. So it's an early stage private market investment for accredited investors to come in we believe to be incredibly early on a company that's revolutionizing coffee. And we have a target year of 2026, where we are expecting to take the company public in the US. That US structure has set us up in a way where it's nice packaged and easy in order to do that. Uh, Maybe easy is an overstatement, but we believe that we have the team and the resources in order to execute on that, which I could dive into more here. But um, that's kind of an overview of what we do at Legacy Group and kind of what the Green Coffee Company is about. Great. So, yeah, we'll get into some more of the details. But before we get into that, I've covered a lot of alternative investment topics on previous episodes. So everything from like collectibles to wine to gold, real estate, most of these investment opportunities, they're domestic in the U.S. Maybe can you share some of the benefits of doing an alternative investment outside of the U.S. and specifically Colombia? How do you guys pick Colombia? Our investors are heavily allocated to U.S. assets, whether it's the homes they own, their rental properties, the stocks and bonds that make up their portfolio, and even U.S. dollars. So in the global macroeconomic environment that we find ourselves in today, uh, obviously the dollar is strong on a global basis, 
but investors are opening their eyes to other markets. Obviously, emerging markets were always, you would know this as a financial advisor, recommended to be a small part of someone's portfolio. Um, but right now, people are concerned of public markets. And usually that's how they go about getting exposure into emerging markets. And when you think of emerging markets, you'll often think of Asia, maybe parts of undeveloped Europe. And those places don't really look like places I want to keep my capital right now. And our investors seem to agree with us. Latin America is very close to us. It's a market that we see growing immensely. Colombia specifically has attracted a tremendous amount of foreign capital. This year, I think it's more than double last year, even in the environment we're in now. So we've seen a ton of capital flowing into venture capital, early stage companies, and we've been early on that. So the two partners at Legacy, they, they found Medellin back around 2015, 2016, and the coffee company was founded in 2017. Uh, that's when we initiated our seed funding round. So we've been on the ground early uh, compared to where we've seen this big influx of capital come in. And Colombia itself, it's very much a democratic country. It's open for business, high human talent, and real opportunities for arbitrage-like returns where we could pick up assets at deep discounts and really apply our expertise in mergers and acquisitions and deal structuring and kind of bringing that to fruition. So it's really a fragmented market that we think is ripe for disruption, and we're doing just that. So I know like talking to investors, one of the first things they'll bring up, and you sort of touched on this a little bit, but is, well, what about the political risk? And I know Colombia is not like 30 years ago, Colombia, where it was one of the world's unsafest places to be. But just in general, what is some of the political things that companies either had to deal with or could potentially be on the spectrum in terms of political risk? Yeah, Colombia has come a very long way from the 90s, um, from the moments that you're kind of mentioning there. And uh, us being in the heart of Medellin, we know that very well. It's an unbelievable city, unbelievable country. And, and when you go there, it's nothing like how it's portrayed in the media. Obviously, every country has its issues and there's and its safety concerns and its political environment. But it's very interesting for me, having gone down there and seeing it firsthand, as well as our investors, you know, what you hear and what you see is totally different. It's very much a place that's open for business now. It doesn't come without its headwinds. And we view this almost as, as a positive thing. But there was a new president who recently came in, Gustavo Petro. He's really a proponent of domestic production of goods rather than importation and creating a more of a producing economy as opposed to an importing economy. And us as a producer at Origin, you know, we check that box, of course. Coffee is the national product. It employs over 2 million people in, in the country there. And we're doing things right by the people. So whether that's equal and fair employment, our sustainability practices on the environmental side, we do a lot to really lift up the communities in which we operate, which is really shine the light brightly on us, as opposed to where the president is coming hard on, which would be oil and gas and, and fossil fuels. We believe coffee is well positioned beyond any industry in Colombia as it's going through this transformation. We believe we're at the forefront of revolutionizing that. But we're monitoring the situation closely. We have great relationships in Salgar, where our farms are, for the largest employer there. And on a national level, we're a member of CEA Colombia, which is the Council for American Enterprises doing business there. That gives us access to information from the embassy, uh, whether that's change in policy or, or movement in different regions. 
So while we are primarily Americans at Legacy Group, at our portfolio company, Green Coffee Company, we have a Colombian management team. Uh, so we have a 25-year veteran of agriculture as our CEO. We have a former agronomist of Starbucks as our chief agronomist. He recently transitioned into a role of an advisor. It's a really special team and a special opportunity, and you'll find nothing else like it. You mentioned that it's a U.S. company, but maybe you can walk through how the company is structured. So I know you mentioned also that there's thousands of acres of land that's owned. What's next? Is it you're actually farming, growing, producing the coffee? And then what happens after it's produced? Yeah, let me walk you through the structure and the business model. So it's a U.S.-based holding company structure. So our almost 300 investors are invested in, at the U.S. parent holding company level. That holding company here owns operating subsidiaries in Colombia. So all of the assets flow up to the parent here in the States. So we have an operating subsidiary for operations, and then we have one that holds the assets. So all the land titles are held by a Colombian entity, and then that entity is wholly owned by our U.S.-based parent. So that structure makes it as easy and frictionless as possible for our investors to get access to assets over there while having the comfort of knowing that their investment is actually here in the States. Think of that similarly to if you own shares in Coca-Cola, obviously a very different company and publicly traded. Coca-Cola has operations all over the world. However, it primarily trades in the U.S. stock exchange. That's, that's obviously it trades in other markets, but that's where it's primarily listed. So as a shareholder in Coca-Cola, you own an American company. However, you get exposure overseas. In this case, you own shares in a U.S.-based company. And right now, at least as of today, all the assets are, are in Colombia, at least for the most part, except a bit of human talent that we have here in the States. As we look towards the future, the current business model is green coffee. So we process uh, coffee cherries from our own farms, those 6,500 plus acres and those 7 million plus trees. We process those cherries. We also buy coffee from neighboring farmers. We have one world-class processing facility already open with another coming online before the end of the year. In those facilities, we take it from cherry down to pergamino or green coffee. And that product is not yet roasted. So we process it. We take it down to an unroasted coffee bean. And then we sell it at scale B2B. The model is that we sell it domestically in Colombia, and then we sell it internationally at premiums to specialty buyers all over the world. That's headed up by a U.S.-based sales director. But we could unload unlimited amounts of coffee in this form, in its unroasted form. It's one of the most heavily traded commodities on earth next to oil. Very liquid. And we are really operating at scale at our own farms, buying other cherries, processing them, and exporting B2B green now, that is really the first pillar of the business, one that we've done very well over the last number of years, and one that we, we want to continue to scale and replicate in other parts of the country. Beyond that, we want to build out a U.S.-based roasting channel. So that's part of the proceeds in our recently opened Series C funding round, where we want to continue to grow that pillar one of the green coffee production, and then also build out a U.S.-based roaster. With that, we expect that we'll be able to bring this green coffee through the states and then sell it B2B as well, but make significantly more margin per pound going that route. A third pillar would be monetizing the byproduct. In our facilities, the outside of the cherry creates a, a ton of waste. 80% of the coffee cherry is garbage or waste, and then 20% is the bean that we all know on the inside. 
with that 80% of waste, we use it as fertilizer, but it, it goes bad and it's, it's essentially trash right now. So we've ordered distillery equipment from Europe and we're conducting research and development on ways in which we can monetize that byproduct and make alternative products and make additional revenue streams out of nothing essentially now. So the goal is to create ethanol and or vodka and sell that at scale and B2B as well from the waste of, of the coffee cherry. So those are really the main pillars of the business right now. It's the green coffee production and processing that, that we're currently doing, but we're making strides on the others. And our recently opened Series C round, which as of the time of this recording was open last week, the funds are earmarked towards uh, building out those three pillars I want to ask you about a couple of things happening here in the U.S. and is there any impact in Colombia? The first one's inflation. Green coffee being on the top of the chain of, of this coffee production and eventually hitting the end consumer. But how has inflation impacted the business? So inflation has pushed up commodity prices. I'm sure we all see that in our grocery shopping list. And if you have a gas car, the gas stations and such. Coffee has certainly risen along with many other products, and, and you'll see the spot price more than double it was not very long ago. As a producer at Origin, we benefit from that. So owning farmland, we have relatively fixed costs at production. Obviously, there's certain things that are variable, such as fertilizers and such. But as a producer at Origin, we benefit with rising prices. So our investors have loved that. I mean, obviously, we don't like it when we go to the store and buy things. But if you're the one producing these goods, it's nice that they become more expensive. Think of yourself as a multifamily real estate investor. Rents start going through the roof. Well, you paid a certain amount for your property and the rents are higher. Therefore, there's more income on the assets that you already bought. Similar kind of concept when it comes to commodities at scale is that when rising commodity prices, you already own the land and you already own the facilities, you benefit from increasing prices. Obviously, that makes acquisitions potentially more expensive down the road. So as we look to acquire more land, with higher prices of coffee, that land could be more expensive and we're still growing through acquisitions. We're very diligent in the way which we do that. And we buy you know, kind of below market price, whether it's distressed or needs some value add, but it, it's pushed up prices of new acquisitions, I'd say, but it's made the revenue potential of the business much higher. Colombia is experiencing inflation at a local level, right around where we're kind of seeing in the US high single digits um, up to like very low double digits at, at a local level, but it's really the commodity that and coffee inflation that that's moving the business the most. Okay. Yeah. The second part, which maybe I guess related a little bit to inflation is in the U S we're seeing in different areas of labor shortages. Is it similar in Colombia and how is the coffee market looked at specifically in labor? So I would call the coffee market a bit of an outlier related to normal skilled labor that you'd find here in the States. Obviously, they're, they're skilled un and unskilled at, at our farms and our facilities. We have the pickers and then we have more technical people in, in the facilities and agronomists and operations managers and whatnot. But uh, we have had no issue attracting talent. We're the largest employer in Salgar. We have several hundred employees working for us full time. Uh, during the primary harvest, we have even more from that area and from other parts. So th there's a lot of labor there. I wouldn't say we have a shortage. So with that, I can confidently say that we haven't been affected by labor shortages and we're able to um, get who we need at the farms and our facilities. How does it work with the investor? One of the complaints that I hear from investors investing in either private or alternative companies is that there's a lack of transparency into what is happening. 
What's the, the info feed back to the investor in terms of what's going on? Yeah, so as the director of investor relations at Legacy Group, I pride myself in the level of communications and transparency in which we have. So we do formal quarterly investor updates where we send out a written report followed by a webinar in Q&A format where we go over the report and address investor questions in real time. In between that, we generally do weekly investor updates, um, and it's not necessarily specific to performance. Maybe it'll be something about the coffee industry, new videos that we've released, new articles that we write, acquisitions that we make. You know, we are very communicative with our investors and and we generally send something out weekly in written form, always making ourselves available for scheduled calls or to address questions over email. And our availability, I'd say, is unmatched by other asset managers in the industry. So transparency and communications are really important to us. Even from the start of the investment, when people reach out to us requesting info, which I hope some of your listeners do, we lay out the facts, we share our investor presentation, we share our disclosure document, we share a portfolio of our videos, so you can kind of get caught up on things that we do in our various initiatives. We make ourselves available for questions, whether that's through email or over a call, as I mentioned. And then on a go-forward basis, it's, it's, as I said, through quarterly updates as well as weekly newsletters. Now, I know you mentioned the plan is to IPO at some point in the future. Is there a plan to be, up, I guess, up until that point, any either like dividend payment or cash payment back to the investors? It's most certainly a growth investment. And while IPO is our preferred strategy, we're dual tracking the company for sale. So in the event that we have favorable terms presented to us or we're able to do so and, and sell the business, we'll, we'll entertain that. We think the IPO is the preferred strategy which will create the most value for our investors. As it relates to dividends or distributions, it's definitely a growth investment. And we're kind of heavily deploying investor capital into real assets, whether that's land, facilities, human talent. We certainly may be in a position to make distributions prior to exit, but we see the exit kind of right around the corner, 2026 being a target year for investing growth capital. It might not be prudent to turn around and pay investors single digit or a low double digit dividend because the total return that we're targeting is really what's of most importance to us. In terms of an IRR, I mean, if you're a real estate investor, this will sound pretty high, but it's a real operating business. So the trajectory and the potential is higher, but we're forecasting an IRR north of 60% and 11x net equity multiple on investment through 2026. So investors today, if you know, based on our model, you give us 100K and we're forecasting to turn it into 1.1 million, they might not want a dividend of $5,000. It's really not the ethos of what we do and it's not the main strategy. We are modeling in the potential to pay annual dividends. If paid, they would be declared and paid in the year following operations. It'd be from the U.S. parent level, um, it would result in a 1099 tax form. Very easy for investors to file that. But um, it's certainly possible. Uh, we haven't paid a dividend to date. It's been a growth investment. We started the seed round at 500 a share. We're up to 1,200 in our Series C. And kind of do the math there on unrealized gains, and our investors have been very pleased with that. Yeah, I know you mentioned total return, and I see it all the time on my side where someone will look and they'll see the dividend yield on a stock at like 10%, and they don't realize that the reason it's so high is the stock price has just cratered. And now it makes it look like that 
dividend is. So their yeah. their total return is negative ten percent, but they got a an eight percent dividend. Yeah. So yeah, total return is definitely where it's where it's at. And I, I know the investment is being classified as an impact investment. What makes it an impact investment? Because it's a, I guess that and ESG investing, it's become popular to the forefront uh, recently. Yeah, so it's most certainly an impact investment. And I touched on a little bit about this earlier on. And But let's start with the social component. Uh, we formally employ the people at our farms and in our facilities. And in the coffee industry, at least in Colombia specifically, it's informal employment. So people generally, the way it's been done, are paid cash. They're not given insurance, no pensions, time off. We're formalizing that by bringing people on. And we pay into pensions, we give them time off, we often give them places to live at the farms, and really do a lot to to lift up worker well-being. In our greenhouses, we employ a group of single mothers, uh, very difficult for, for single mothers, heads of households to get good employment in the area. We employ quite a few of them in, in our greenhouse, and they're very proud of that. We have a lot, of, a couple of videos on this, which you'll find on our YouTube channel. And then uh, on an environmental stage, uh, we're reducing waste. So rather than planting the way it's traditionally done in large plastic bags, we use biodegradable pods for the trees that we plant. We brought in technology to allow us to do that. So we're eliminating waste. We're eliminating water. We use less water in our facilities than, than is traditionally done. Uh, we don't dump any waste into the waterways. We, we're very much preserving the areas in which we operate. We promote biodiversity, whether that's planting different types of plants, promoting wildlife to live on the farms. We're, we're trying not to disrupt you know, the natural ecosystem where we operate. And the list kind of goes on. We have an entire presentation separate from our investor presentation called an impact strategy deck. And um, it really dives into the sustainable development goals set forth by the UN that we hit on, uh, whether that's the things I mentioned, like life on land, um, social responsibility. And we have a really interesting presentation on that. If any of you listeners are, would like to see that, uh, you could certainly reach out to us. We'd be happy to share it. You mentioned kind of the company's three-phase strategy that you have going forward. What about just coffee trends in, in general? Are people drinking more coffee than they did you know, a couple of years ago? Or is it kind of held steady? What, what's going on just generally with coffee? There's multi-billion cups consumed daily and growing on a global basis. And then we see that increasing. So coffee consumption has been on the rise on the global level. I would say it hasn't fully penetrated certain markets. So like Asia could be one of them where there's even more growth potential. I, I don't believe, at least in certain countries, they're not as heavy into coffee drinking as we might be here in, in North and South America. So there's, there's opportunity for further growth. But um, I believe it's over 2 billion cups a day consumed. And we see that trend rising. Oh, that's a lot. And I know you mentioned some other areas in Colombia that you're looking at, but is that for coffee also, or is Legacy Group looking at other things to add to the portfolio? It's a great question, Mark. So uh, it would be more so focused on coffee. The reason why we were looking at other regions is that in Salgar, where we currently have our farms, uh, the primary harvest is in Q4 of each year. There, there's a half harvest in between and, and some production throughout the year, but, but the bulk of the production is in Q4. And the reason for that is the climatic conditions in the region. Uh, we're looking to acquire farms in another part of Colombia in the Coffee Triangle, which has a spring harvest, primary harvest. And the reason is that we want year-round production with stable revenue streams. So we definitely want to continue the footprint in coffee. 
Um, the additional products could be the byproducts that I mentioned, whether that be ethanol or vodka. But from a farming perspective, the, the focus is on coffee. We do have some other plants at, at farms, some banana trees, but it's really for shade. But obviously, we sell the fruit from it. So there are some other plants, but really, uh, coffee is the main focus from a production standpoint. And is it like a, is it a premium coffee, or are there different blends of it or types of it being produced? That's some good questions here, Mark. So that it would definitely be a um, specialty coffee product. Um, it would sell at a premium above commodity. Today, we're, we're primarily a green coffee business, which means we don't take it down to roasted. We do have some roasted coffee available on Amazon, which we've done, but the primary sales channel is unroasted. And, and it is a specialty coffee. Our investors and those who have tried it love it. Um, it's, it grades kind of mid-80s on the specialty coffee association scale which means it's specialty based on where it grades is how high you can sell it above commodity and and where we're graded it's at a premium cool well josh we're just about out of time i want to thank you for being on the show today you gave some great insight into investing in coffee investing in alternative assets how best can someone reach out to you find out more information about green coffee company and legacy group I would love to get in touch with anyone here if they're interested in learning more about business or about investing with us. You can either visit our website at legacy-group.co or you could send us an email at investor.relations at legacy-group.co. Great. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Thanks again, Josh. And thank you everyone for tuning in today. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.